Our Old Testament reading is from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verses 1 and 4 through 10. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name i did not send them declares the lord for thus says the lord when 70 years are completed for babylon i will visit you and i will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place the word of the lord thanks be to god Today's psalm is Psalm 63. We will read responsively by whole verse. O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh also longs after you. In a barren, dry land where there is no water. Thus I have looked upon you in your holy place, that I might behold your power and glory. Your loving kindness is better than life itself. My lips shall praise you. As long as I live, I will magnify you and lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness when my mouth praises you with joyful voice. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the watches of the night. Because you have been my helper, therefore under the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. My soul clings to you, your right hand has upheld me. Those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the earth. Let them fall upon the edge of the sword, that they may be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God, all those who swear by him shall be commended. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our New Testament reading today is from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, 
Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The word of the Lord. Our gospel lesson this morning comes from Matthew chapter 16. Will you please stand for the reading of the gospel? Church, this is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. And from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this kind of thing will never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your things on the minds of God. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. If you brought a Bible with you today, open it to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. It's one of the last books in the Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible today, but you'd like to follow along, you can grab one of those blue Bibles on that low wooden table in the back. And if you don't own a Bible, then one of those blue Bibles is yours to keep as our gift to you. So today we are starting a new sermon series that's going to take us through most of the summer in 1 Peter. And to to my mind, I have been wanting to preach this book for years because as far as I'm concerned, it is one of the most concise and insightful books 
for us today of how we are supposed to live as kingdom citizens in a kingless world. It's, it's all about living for God in a place that don't, doesn't even acknowledge that God exists. So that's where we're going to be for the next couple months, how to live as kingdom citizens in a kingless world. Because over and over again, Peter will tell Christians in this letter that even though our circumstances might change, that God never changes, and that he is our anchor. And so even though our fortunes might change, or our situation might change, or where we live or how we live might change, God doesn't change. He can't. And so even if everything around us falls apart, God is our anchor. And what that means is, when you, when you see that word, he is our anchor and he is our hope. Now, this is really important. In biblical terms, when the Bible says the word hope, it doesn't mean like I wish or I really want. Like, oh, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. That's not what, that's not what hope in the biblical term means. Hope in the Bible, it's the absolute certainty of something that is going to happen but just hasn't happened yet. And so we set our hope on this future point when we are going to follow Christ into the very presence of God. And we are pulled forward in time to that moment with that hope because it's a certainty. It's going to happen. Let me pray for us as we open God's word together. God, I thank you for this letter that you have caused to be written, that you have caused to be preserved, and that you allow us to, to read from today to learn more about you, to learn more about what you have done, and to learn more about how you would have us live in response to that. I pray that you will be with us, that you will bless this church through the hearing and preaching of your word. In Christ's name, amen. So this is the first epistle of Peter. First question that might pop into your mind is, who's Peter? We actually just heard about him in this gospel passage today, and Peter was an interesting guy. He was a fisherman. He was probably originally from a little town called Capernaum, the northern part of Israel. Um, he was probably actually a neighbor of Jesus, and we know that he had a wife, and we know that he had a mother-in-law, and we know that he had some business partners that he used to fish with. That's about all we know about his biography. But we know a lot about what he did in his time with Jesus. And Peter did some colossally dumb stuff. And I'm so glad that he's in the Bible. Every single time I come across one of the absolute idiotic things that Peter said, I'm just so grateful that he's there because it makes me feel a little bit better about all the dumb stuff that I do and say. And so this is the guy, Peter's the guy who right right up at the end of Jesus' life, when he's about to be captured, Peter says, I am going to defend you to the death. He pulls out his sword. He says, I am going to protect you. I am going to defend you. I will be with you to the end. And then a couple hours later, after Jesus has been arrested, he's being questioned by soldiers and guards. And Peter's like, um, uh, Jesus? Uh, um, Jesus? I, 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 don't, I don't know who that is. I, I've never heard of the guy. And that was only a couple hours later. So here, in, in our gospel passage, in Matthew 16, Jesus is asking his, his disciples questions. He says, who are people saying that I am? And the disciples answer, well, some of them are saying that you're John the Baptist reincarnated, and others are saying that you might actually be Jeremiah or Elijah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus looks at them and says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, Peter says, you are the Messiah. 
You are the son of the living God. So Peter can have these moments of piercing insight. And even Jesus is impressed. He says, wow, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because that's Peter's real name. Peter's real name is Simon. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because nobody told you this. It says flesh and blood didn't reveal it to you, meaning no person told you this. But you learned this from my father. God himself revealed this to you. And then Jesus goes on to make a pun. He, he, said, he gives his friend Simon a nickname. He says, let me say this to you. You are rock. You are the rock. That's Simon's nickname. Petrus, means, which is what we call Peter. Petrus means rock, which is a really cool nickname. And he says, you are Petrus. And on this Petra, this rock, I'm going to build my church. Now, that doesn't mean as some have come to determine it. That doesn't mean that Peter was the head of the church. It doesn't mean that Peter was the first pope. If you look at the language, he's saying, you are a rock. And on, on this rock, on what you just said, on the confession, you are the Messiah. On the confession, Jesus is Lord. That's the truth that I'm going to build my church on. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church and nothing, nothing in this created world can ever prevail against it. This kind of thing is important in the study of 1 Peter. Jesus is going to build his church, and not even the gates of hell are going to be able to prevail against it. It's a really nice little moment for Jesus and Peter, kind of like when Peter said, I'll defend you to the death. But then, in classic Peter fashion, the very next thing that we hear about him is that Jesus starts to talk about how part of this victory that he's going to achieve means getting turned over to the religious leaders of the day and the, 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 colon, the colonizing empire oppressors and getting arrested, tortured, and killed. And Peter said, no, 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 Lord, I, can, that I won't let this happen. This can never happen. Far be it from you that these things would happen, Lord. The one minute he's saying, you are the Christ. You are the promised Messiah. And the next paragraph, no, you're, you're wrong. You're wrong, Messiah, son of the living God. You're wrong about this. So Jesus says, get, me get behind me. Get behind me, you accuser. Get behind me, Satan, because you're thinking the world's thoughts. You're not thinking God's thoughts. This is important for the study of 1 Peter. Because 1 Peter tells us that we shouldn't frame the events of our life on either what happens around us or what happens inside us. We shouldn't look at things from the world's perspective. We should look at things from God's perspective. So like not, not through the lens of what the world would call important, but through God's lens of what he says is important. So that's just little, one little biographical story about Peter that we see in our gospel. And the, both the Bible and church history tell us that, that that same Peter from the gospel story in Matthew is the same guy who wrote this letter. And of course modern skeptics and, and secular scholarship would call that into question. They'd say that there's no way that some blowhard fisherman from like flyover country in Israel could then possibly go on to write this beautiful and theologically rich letter to other Christians. But Peter had spent three years living every single day with Jesus. Three years of sitting at the feet of this, this rabbi, this expert in God's word, and who, by the way, also just happened to be God himself. And if that wasn't enough, he then had decades afterward 
of talking with other Christians, of, of having his faith sharpened, of having his knowledge deepened. He had decades of being in the church and learning more about who our God is. So there's absolutely no reason that he couldn't have writ writ written this letter. If he did write it, he probably wrote it somewhere around the year 60 A.D., when Peter was in Rome, and this would have been near the end of his life. This was a time of persecution of Christians. It, it wasn't as bad as it was going to get, like about 40 years later, right around the turn of the century, when the persecution of Christians went empire-wide and systematic. But at this time, Christians were being persecuted. It just happened to be a, a little bit more sporadic and a little bit more localized. But Christian communities were being persecuted by the Roman Empire. So, likely written by Peter, likely written sometime in the 60s or about 20 to 30 years after Jesus' death. But who was it written to? Fortunately, he tells us. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Peter, an apostle, or a, a, a sent one, an apostle of Jesus the Messiah, to the elect exiles in the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. To the, chosen, to the chosen exiles, or the, those chosen by God who, who weren't living in their homes, strangers scattered across these various points around the Mediterranean, sojourners, God's chosen people living as foreigners in a foreign land. However you want to nuance that, that sentence, God's people were living far from their home far from their home in a foreign land. And these likely were actually Jewish Christians, specifically. That's probably who Peter was writing to. We know that Jewish Christians were living in these small, very tight-knit communities in the midst of Greek and Roman cities in these regions. Galatia, Cappadocia, Bithynia. The Apostle Paul, in his letters, is usually seen as the Apostle to the Gentiles. That's usually who he ended up talking with. Peter, by contrast, is seen as the Apostle to Jews. So his audience was probably... Jewish Christians, but this letter can apply to any Christian, not just Jewish ones. So they might have had a, um, they might have had a specific background, these Christians that he's writing to, and may have been subject to a more, a more specific kind of persecution than other Christians, because these people were not only Christians who were persecuted, but they were also Jews who weren't liked very much. And so Jewish Christians were probably getting it really bad. But this letter is applicable to all of us because the Bible tells us that in the, in the covenant family of God, there is not Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, because all are one in Christ. But this can apply to anyone. Peter then goes on to say in this letter, he says that God the Father chose you according to his foreknowledge, according to his plan. And he says that the Holy Spirit made you holy. That's what that word sanctification means. It says that God has worked within you and made you holy. Made you who you are. Made you who he wanted you to be. And the purpose of this holiness and the result of this holiness is to be a faithful follower of Jesus. You were made holy so that Jesus could indwell you and so that you could obey Christ. And you were made holy by being cleansed with his blood. And if that sounds like a weird image to you, that's understandable because this is Old Testament language right here. In the Old Testament, the idea of being sprinkled with something's blood 
This was part of the, the sacrifice and purification ceremony that people would undergo when they came to the tabernacle and then later to the temple. When they came into the presence of God, there would be an animal sacrifice, an animal with no blemishes, say a, a perfect spotless lamb. And they would take that animal and they would sacrifice it to God and then they would take some of the blood from that animal and they would sprinkle it or spray it onto the people. And what this was signifying to the people is that, that this animal, this perfect spotless lamb, had died for their sins, had died so that their sins could be covered over with this blood that they were being sprinkled with. Its death in their place would atone for what they had done wrong so they could know that they were still part of God's faithful family. So, Peter is telling these people, these elect exiles, you know, uh, about 40 years after Jesus' death, who were scattered all over Asia Minor and the Mediterranean. He's saying that they are known by God, that they are made holy by the Holy Spirit, and that they are made holy so that they can be followers of Jesus. And then he says, he goes on to say, may, grace, may, may God give you grace upon grace and peace upon peace, or may he give you more and more of his grace and peace. The word that's actually used there uh, is plenethero, which is from where we get the word plethora. So an abundance of grace and peace be upon you. Pour it out lavishly. So, so far we have a letter to exiles chosen by God, not because of anything that they did, all because of what God did. So Peter's saying, here's how he's already blessed you. Here's why he's blessed you. And here's how much more blessing I, I am asking him to pour out on you. And if that kind of thing, the interesting thing about, about that series of statements, the interesting thing about this context is that this is not the first time in the Bible that this exact kind of letter has been written. As we consider the point of this letter, as we think about what it, what it must have been like to be part of God's covenant household, but, but living as sojourners in a strange and foreign land. Good to remember that this is not the first kind, that this, this is not the first time that this kind of letter had been written. 600 years before this, it had happened. 600 years before this, there had been something called the Babylonian exile. Faithful Israelites, residents of the, the southern country of Judah, had been taken off into slavery and exile in the empire of Babylon. They'd been physically removed from the land that God had given them. They were taken from their home and their land and everything that they knew, and they were brought into this strange place with different customs and different morals and even a different God. And so what did God tell them to do while they were there? Well, fortunately, he told the prophet Jeremiah to write them a letter, and that's exactly what he did. And here's what the letter said. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king, has taken into exile from Jerusalem into Babylon. And then it says, Thus says the Lord Almighty, or, or technically it says the Lord of armies, like the king of the angel armies is saying this to you. And it says, thus says the Lord of hosts. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. And so right off the bat, you expect this, this letter from God Almighty to His people to be something like a rallying cry. 
or instructions on, on the upcoming battle. But it's not. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that you can have grandchildren. Multiply there and do not decrease. But, and this is the key verse, this is Jeremiah 29, verse 7. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare. For there you will find your own welfare. Seek the welfare of the city. It means, it means work toward the prosperity of this foreign land that I have dumped you in. Hard thing to read sometimes. I mean, I can imagine that the Jewish exiles in Babylon, when they read that, work for the prosperity of this city that you have sent us, but God, they don't respect us here. Yeah, I, I know that. But they make fun of our religion here. Yeah, I, I know they do. But they, they, they treat us badly. We're literally second-class citizens in this place. I know. I know that. And you want us to actively work to seek the good of the people who are abusing us. You want us to actively work for the thriving and the prospering of these people who mock us and belittle us. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Go ahead. Why? Why? Because that's where I have you right now. God was the one who sent them into exile. God knew exactly what he was doing. This was not a plan B, like a reaction to something that he didn't see coming. This is part of his plan. Why should you seek the good of the city that I have sent you in? Because that's where I have you. Because that's where I want you. Because if you think, this is what Peter gets into, if you think that your happiness and your prosperity, your safety, security, your very identity, if you think that those things come from where you're living, from the world that you see around you and how they live, if you think that your safety and security and identity and prosperity are seen through the lens of the world, then, then you don't get it yet. Peter goes on to say that, he goes on to explain exactly who these people are, these elect exiles. He's saying you are heirs. You are God's heirs. This is Peter's first point at the end of our little passage today. We're only covering five verses today. He says that these elect exiles, these kingdom citizens living in a kingless land, here's what's true about them. God is saying you are my heirs. You are my children. You are my people, citizens of my kingdom, following the path of the one only true king. But that also part of that path means walking through suffering. Part of that path, if we're following the path of Jesus, he himself said in our gospel passage today, part of walking his path is walking through suffering. It means being treated unfairly, even being treated harshly. And to deny that, to deny that that's the reality for each and every Christian would be exactly like Peter. When Jesus was about to, when Jesus said what was about to happen to him and Peter jumps up and is like, no, that can't happen. You're the Messiah. How can, how can bad things possibly happen to you? Jesus basically says to him, you, you clearly don't get it yet. I think the takeaway from this, from the gospel passage and from what Peter is saying to these elect exiles, when he says to them that, that yours is an inheritance that is imperishable. Yours is an inheritance that can never be taken away from you. I think what he's saying is 
The world can't take away from you what it could never give you in the first place. They could haul the Israelites into captivity in Babylon. They could arrest Jesus and torture him and kill him. They could persecute the Christians that Peter was writing to, but they can't take away from them. The world can't take away from them what it could never give them in the first place. It could never take away their their hope, their anchor, and that's their inheritance. Wherever, Wherever these people came from, these elect exiles, whatever background they had or or parentage or family history, that's been wiped clean, Peter says. It's been wiped clean because they have been born again into a royal family. They've been born again into a living, embodied hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because they've been born again into that resurrection family with this new life, then as children of that hope, they have this inheritance from God the Father that is undefiled, unfading, and kept in the throne room of heaven for them. You are people who are being guarded through faith by the power of God himself, Peter says, and you are being guarded for a salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last day. So what he's saying is your future, your future is secure. If you've been born again into this royal family, your identity is now unchangeable. And you have been claimed by Jesus Christ as one of his sheep. You've been presented to God the Father for adoption into this family. And you've been cleansed by the Holy Spirit. It's done. Your future is fixed. It is the unmovable anchor. It is the inheritance. And everything in our lives pulls us toward that future day when Christ comes again. When he brings heaven down to earth when he brings us that inheritance held in his throne room, when heaven comes down to earth and Christ comes back and makes all things new, and that inheritance is given to you. So the question that I'm going to be asking a bunch during a study of 1 Peter is, what are we afraid of? If that's true, if any of this is true, what are we afraid of? Look, I'm... I am not a historian, but, but I know and I hear more and more that the parallels between our 21st century Western life and the first century Roman world are increasing. And so there is the possibility that more and more over the years of our lives that, that our life in the church and in the world is going to look a lot closer to how the church looked in Acts or in the epistles than it did in our parents' day or our grandparents' day. But fortunately, we have clear instructions on how to live in those kind of times. And if we do end up living in those kind of times where there is genuine persecution, not just snotty comments, not just mean tweets, if there is genuine persecution, we can react exactly how the the Babylonian exiles did or how I imagine they are. You know, we can say, God, why would you have us live through this time? How can you have us pray for the good of the city who is now telling us that we are not only wrong, but evil? Because that's where I have you. That's where I have you, and that's when I have you. You are exactly where you want to be. You you are exactly where I want you to be, exactly on time. And if this is true, and if, if our culture is becoming more like that Roman Empire 
then that's okay because we have clear instructions. We have 1 Peter. Peter said this. Jeremiah said this. It's all over the Bible. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters away in marriage. Have grandchildren. Be fruitful and multiply. Multiply there and do not decrease. You can trace the theme of being exiles and sojourners throughout the whole Bible. Adam and Eve, as soon as they got kicked out of the garden in Eden, they became exiles and sojourners. Later on in in Genesis, God calls Abraham out of his cushy, successful, family-oriented life and says, get going, Abraham. And he doesn't even tell him where he's going to go. He just says, you're going to wander until I tell you to stop. And so this wandering nomad ends up being the father of God's people. We see exile and sojourn throughout the Bible, and we also see it in our own life. We are are citizens of a different kingdom, residents of this nation. We are citizens of a different kingdom, residents of this world. So what's the call on our lives? Pursue the well-being of the city that I have sent you into and pray, for the, pray to the Lord on its behalf. Because, and this is going to be the message of 1 Peter over and over and over again, because the citizens of King Jesus have nothing to fear in a foreign land. Absolutely nothing. Let me pray. God, as I wrote these words this week, I believed them, and then much like Peter, I changed my mind. And I changed my mind back. And God, we know that these words are true, and sometimes we believe them, and sometimes we don't. That when we are citizens of your kingdom, we have nothing to fear. That no matter what happens to us, you are in control. That it is your your foreknowledge and your ordaining that brought us into every circumstance that we are in. And so, no matter... No matter what is going on, we can say that the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away and blessed be the name of the Lord. I ask you to make that true for us, Lord, as we, as we walk through First Peter this summer, as we walk through our week together, as we walk out into this world proclaiming the, the gospel of your kingdom. We ask in the name of the King. Amen.